Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toptola. You know, when you're working with a small business client, they're working with three or four other salespeople. And so you realize you're not really as part of the dynamic, strategic discussions, potentially, that the business is having internally. And for me, I just knew that I wanted to do more. Hello and welcome to another episode of the PO Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Bridgeford, founder of PO Concepts. We'll dive into his business model, criteria to select the right PO, and how the growth of HR software is changing the industry. Morning, Brian. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice to be here. I want to start off with you have an interesting journey uh, into the, the the PO industry, right? Tell us a little bit about your your background and 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 how you you entered the PO industry. Yeah, I mean, so the the PO industry was certainly not on my radar fifteen to twenty years ago. I uh, originally am from the DC area, DC metropolitan area, and I lived in Colorado after college for a number of years. Obviously, for the skiing and the just really the outdoor lifestyle, I moved back to the D.C. area and really had spent several years in my early professional days in the financial services industry, working in money management. And I got burned out and did some extensive international traveling. And when I got back, oddly enough, I just used some of my just general like, you know, passions and ended up in the ski industry. At a, at a high-end uh, ski shop in the Washington, D.C. area, a very well-known uh, shop called Ski Center. And working there for a couple winters, uh, learned some really uh, interesting skills around boot fitting, you know, ski boot repair, and did a lot of, you know, ski equipment testing over the years, you know, as part of a process that really kind of got me into sales. And sales really is where I sort of gravitated into, you know, working for myself in the insurance business. That, that's sort of like how I, I gained an, an initial foothold, realizing that, that sales was a career that, that uh, could take me different places. And, you know, sort of a roundabout way because of insurance, I ended up in the PEO space. So tell us more about that jump from a ski shop and you discovering your, your, your passion about sales to like, you know, landing your, your first sales job at the PO industry, which, which company was that? What was the process like? And, uh, and, and um, yeah, what, what was, what was exciting for you for, for, for that, um, you know, transition? Yeah. So, you know, when I uh, started in insurance sales, it was probably about a year after I started, maybe a little bit less. Uh, I was introduced to a small national PEO in the Maryland market just outside of D.C. And they needed a, a manager to handle the ancillary insurance program for their PEO. But I didn't know anything about PEO at the time. So that was my first foray into the industry. And I parlayed that relationship into a logistical move back to Colorado because they had a small office out here. And within a year, that experience and working with insurance and with a PEO and how they were interacting with their clients led me into PEO sales because I understood the industry in a, an appropriate capacity. I had the insurance background and benefits background. And so my first professional job in the PEO space with was with Oasis Outsourcing, which was one of the largest 
privately PE, you know, held, held PEOs at the time. Uh, currently, they were acquired more recently by Paychex, so they're sort of the national, you know, publicly traded space now. But that's how I really got into the to the industry. And what what was your role at uh, at Oasis? Tell us more about that. The title was employer consultant. After four years, I considered myself a, a senior employer consultant, but basically business development, you know, sales development. You're you're the front end of the interactions between your prospective client or the PEO's prospective client and creating a relationship for that business uh, in the PEO space. And now you 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 own your your own company, right? So that another transition yeah. essentially in, in your career. What uh, what led to that decision and uh, to that move on your end? One good thing about the the role at, at Oasis is that they had a channeling program, a channel partnership type program. They were certainly early in, in the space to do that. And what I realized in my role in sales, one of the frustrating aspects of it is that it's a bit commoditized. You know, when you're working with a small business client, they're working with three or four other salespeople. And so you realize you're not really as part of the dynamic strategic discussions potentially that the business is having internally. And for me, I just knew that I wanted to do more, you know, for the client, be more. And I, I knew that there was a gap relative to their own expertise relative to the industry, what their knowledge base was with the industry, the lack of time that they had internally to, to manage just going through proposal development, uh, taking time to sit down for a meeting to, to receive that information was a, was a big challenge. And I knew that there was this gap. It sort of like started forming in my mind. The dimmer on the lamp was just going brighter and brighter. And I knew that there was, I could parlay all my knowledge and experience because I learned a ton from my colleagues and in, in during those four years into something that was a little bit more unique because there was a need there, there was value that I knew that I could create for the small business. It just didn't have enough time, didn't have enough expertise and was was in need of that. That's kind of what led to it. So, so you started PO Concepts about 10 years ago. Tell us about like the, the, the current business model uh, of PO Concepts. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, PO Concepts, we don't or I don't operate as a PO. So I provide uh, an agnostic PEO selection and auditing service, really operating as a, as a middleman, if you will, to help facilitate the process that a company goes through to evaluate what is really a complex and really important you know, partnership when they engage in it. So there's a lot of areas that someone who has specific expertise like this is going to provide a lot of value. And so that that's sort of the design of, of the business. You know, generally the way I sort of control the relationship with the client, it is a very specific consulting arrangement. So I have a design consulting agreement. I, you know, there's a scope of work that's decided upon with the client. There's a couple of strategic meetings that even that, that occur before you even kick off a project. So the, the initial thing is really just do they have the need for what I do and my service and, and can I help them? So that, that's a big part of sort of the, the starting point to determining a working relationship with it, with any prospective client. I would summarize, you essentially consult to employer groups, right? To find the right partner on, on the PO side. What is typically the scope of the engagement? You know, obviously there is the initial selection process, right? As an employer group, I'm, I'm thinking, 
what to do, whether to to work with the PO or not. I which POs is, is the right partner for me. Do you then, once somebody selects a PO, also engage with the client then uh, on an ongoing basis, or is is the focus really on the initial yeah assessment, consulting, and and, and finding the right home for these uh, employer groups? A lot of the companies I work with are a little bit more complex in nature. They're sometimes a little larger. So again, that time constraint is usually a big driving factor. They don't have the time, but they they have the need to do some type of evaluation, whether they're looking to use a PEO or they're already in a PEO relationship. So the benefits market is fairly complex. And so and health insurance is a big value proposition to the PEO space. So they need robust analysis in that area. I've maintained my insurance licenses since I started, you know, my business because of that factor, knowing that I need to pull that data from the market to do comparisons and help them with analysis. Uh, obviously, in the PEO relationship, there's administrative fees, there are tax implications, there's workers' comp implications, there's underwriting specificity and documentation needs that can be broad and complex. And so you're really spending time outlining the the reality of the timing of that type of project. And my work scope really is involved in managing like 80, 90% of all of that work to get the the client to the face-to-face meetings with their prospective vendors so that they have a set of knowledge. I'm helping facilitate those discussions. If and when they do make a selection, I do provide ongoing support to the client. I mean, I've found that there's a lot of value both for the PEO and the client to be a mediator in some capacity in certain instances. I certainly am not involved in in any day-to-day servicing or those kinds of issues, but sometimes problems come up and they need a little bit of an extra insight as to how to solve that problem. And so I can then provide some support to the client and to the PEO to help them come to a resolution. If a client has a problem and it's a big problem or I see it's a big problem, then it's very possible that that PEO may have other clients that have that same problem that they may not be quite aware of. So I usually look at it as a win-win for my clients and and the the strategic partners I have in PEO space. What's kind of like the ideal client profile for you in terms of industry, size, complexity, maturity level? Where does it make sense for a company to engage with you? Uh, Generally, what I've found, especially over the last four or five years, maybe four years or so, most of the client engagements are companies, I would say like 75%, they're already using a PEO. And they're just not quite getting exactly what they need. Service isn't quite there. Their costs are maybe a little bit out of line, but they just haven't gone down the road of determining a market comparison or doing some type of market comparison. So they don't really know where they stand. Typically, they're in the professional class, tech companies, you know, or, or startups that are, you know, into their series B, C, D. They're growing pretty rapidly. They're in a multi-state environment. So their business is complex in terms of technology needs, resource needs. There's this desire at the executive level, typically to have a better understanding of where they're positioned in the market. And that's where most of my value is going to come into play. It's going to really give them better tools and a better understanding of where they where they sit. So Brian, you, you obviously have many, many uh, clients that are trying to evaluate 
who is the right PO partner. I'm sure pricing is always an issue, right? But outside of, of pricing, right, what are typically the, the criteria that you look at together with your clients to evaluate, is this the right PO partner for an organization? So I think some of the primary criteria outside of the price benefits, and it's not just the price of benefits, price of health insurance, it's the robustness of the, the benefit offering. Does it satisfy a client that realizes they're in a tight labor market, they have talent acquisition issues, they need to distinguish themselves from competition? So benefits beyond just premium but the complexity of those benefits, those offerings is really important. On top of that, service obviously is, is connected to the type of client and how they communicate. Do they communicate more through the use of utilization of technology? Do they you know, one face-to-face consultation, you know, response times, and the localization of those resources? I think there are some of the larger uh, national uh, PEOs have moved more towards service center models. They still have regional, sometimes local, localized office of service delivery. But sometimes a company, let's just say they, they're 35 employees and they're all in one state. Well, the reality is that they don't well-known from a marketing perspective PEO. They're, they're likely to be in a better partnership with a localized firm, understands the market, understands their type of client, you know, culture certainly has a component to it. Young, fast-paced startup VCPE-backed firms in the tech space, they don't need to be with a uh, type of PEO that's accustomed to handholding their clients. So there's there's a ton of face-to-face service delivery. They need good technology. They need some, you know, better automation, data analytics, things of that nature. Uh, and again, the benefits is important. So that that all comes down to you know, suitability from my perspective, which is a, it's a term that's used quite a bit in the, in the insurance space, but that's certainly very appropriate within the PEO space as well. Totally makes sense. I want to go back to the first point that you, you mentioned in your answer. It was about benefits, right? In order to attract and retain the best talent, uh, you know, outside of the health insurance, right? What, what trends do you see on the market right now for benefits? What, what is kind of like the new and, and sexy benefits that uh, employer groups are, are looking for? I think in this, in you know, sales personnel in the PEO space will, will sometimes mention that they have pet insurance. Where I see a lot of like corporate benefits going is more wellness, you know, related initiatives. I mean, it just, you know, the last year, the level of stress that it's created, Companies are needing, and they're 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 more specifically focused on those types of resources. Um, you know, in addition, it's it's really just having uh, a complex array of uh, corporate benefits, and then things. The, the the other thing that's kind of come to mind is you know tuition reimbursement, student loan assistance. There's some programs around that. So PEOs that have stayed at the forefront of development of, of different benefits, they're on top of that. And they're, they're, they're leveraging partnerships with different companies to provide something that's a little bit more unique than just health, dental, vision, short and long-term disability, uh, having more resources uh, for, for the employees of their clients is certainly something that is desired and, and they're looking to fulfill. Uh, you also mentioned in your answer service, right? The service that the, the PO is, is, is providing. And 
you know, regardless of your industry, you always hear service, right? As, as a major factor, you know, many providers promise, hey, we have the best service in the world, right? But like, how do you measure that? How do you quantify the service levels? In the meetings that I'm, I've participated in in the last 10 years, there's a, there's a consistency of the theme of client retention and more recently high net promoter scores. But my perspective is that PEO's service goes up and down. It's not a static thing. It, it's different at different times of the year based on their internal client workload, client acquisition workload, what's happening in the market. Is the PEO growing through acquisition? Are they growing organically? Those things all have a, uh, a bearing on it. So it is somewhat difficult to keep very clean tabs on that. But because I'm interacting with my clients that I've placed with PEOs on a somewhat regular basis, I get a sense of what's happening consistently. And I'm trying to determine in all of those conversations, are they systemic issues or just one-offs? And, and that is, I think, where my some of my unique perspective helps clients better understand what they can expect from service delivery. We, we talked a lot about an employer group that might want to uh, have a partnership with, with the PO, right? And, 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 and how that yeah. can be evaluated, right? And how clients can come to a conclusion who's the right partner. Uh, without naming any names here, yeah, I'm sure you also had clients where there were was a PO and you know, the, the service just wasn't there or from a cultural perspective, it wasn't a good fit. Tell us more about that. Like, how is that typically discovered? How are these things corrected? Yeah, if, if you have something in mind, right, uh, a, a case or whatnot that you've worked on, that would be super interesting for us to, to, to hear. Normally, when that type of issue comes up, it's something glaring to me because I've been in the industry for so long. But for a casual observer, they wouldn't think anything of it. The example would be, uh, and it was actually a, a recent case in the last uh, six to eight months, a company that was in the property management industry. So when you think of that, you don't you you think of a sort of a mix of a little bit of blue collar, a little bit of white collar, maybe you could call it gray collar. And they are they were with a PEO that they actually inherited because they were with a smaller PEO that was a good fit for them at the time. That smaller PEO was then acquired by a larger PEO. It really just has a different overall industry focus. And so that uh, cultural sort of disconnect became glaring, at least to me, not as much to the business because they, I think they procrastinated a little bit over time and doing an appropriate evaluation. Were they in a good fit? But essentially you have a company that's in a gray collar industry that's with a PEO that's really focused on tech, you know, professional class. So it didn't quite sort of work from a cultural perspective and just from a delivery or a service delivery perspective. So it was glaring to me, or at least, you know, I, I, I recognized it early on. And within the proposal development process, the principal at the firm, interestingly enough, wanted to talk to three companies that where salespeople had been in contact with them. And each of those PEOs, for various reasons, were not, from my perspective, were not a good logistical, cultural, and service, you know, based fit. And so we talked through that, why each, you know, and I think I believe one of them was included in the process due to commitments he had provided to uh, some sales personnel there. And we included them in the process. But it became glaring as as that project went on that a more 
you know, sort of localized approach, a com- you know, companies that have a little bit more risk expertise, a little bit more of a broader client base within the property management industry was a much better fit for his business. And ultimately, and as they've gone through the selection process and they've been client for six months, it's just a better working relationship, a better partnership for for that company. You're obviously in touch with a lot of what I would call like best in class POs. Maybe tell us a little bit what you're seeing, what the leadership teams of these POs are doing differently, right? In order to keeping, you know, on top, right? In that that top uh, tier of the PO market. The best in class PEOs that, that I've seen there from a, a consi- consistent perspective relative to service, good pricing, their benefits are, are managed in, a, in an effective way. They really understand that in this market, especially with the, with the type of competition that exists in the HR software space, HR technology space, companies that are in the payroll space, that their value proposition must be executed consistently. And so consistent performance is really, I think, what sets the, the top class or the top tier players in the market more so than, again, you know, companies that might have some bumps in the road or there's a little bit of up and down. They're heavily focused on really good technology, improving on that technology consistently, because again, there's so many companies that have come into the space that are not just PEOs, but they are uniquely using an, an HCM system and technology that is about tying different platforms together. And historically, that's what a PEO was able to do for its client. Payroll, benefits, workers' comp, their retirement plan, all sort of tied together within a single dashboard. Now there are a multitude of companies that start off as software companies that are in that space. So that's that's probably the, the number one thing. And then the, the secondary thing would really be the benefits, that they're really on top of providing a broad array of really good health and, again, ancillary and, and corporate benefits that uniquely position their clients for talent acquisition and, t- and talent retention. And that's talked about commonly, I think, in the insurance space. But PEOs, they execute on it better than really any other industry from my perspective. You mentioned technology as, as one of the uh, yeah, differentiator or focus areas. How is the industry right now affected by uh, technology change? What, what, what kind of trends do you see? Well, from a, you know, from a technology perspective, they, the reality is that it's such a broad industry. You know, there are just a ton of country, you know, companies in the HR you know, software space and the technology space. You know, again, going back to sort of how PEO has always utilized technology to its advantage, there are a multitude of companies and industries that are really just been nipping at their heels, integrating payroll and benefits administration, tying in together applicant tracking, performance management, and LMS. The, the, the reality is that when you see survey after survey of small and mid-tier companies, they're managing multiple systems. They're managing you know, upwards of five to seven systems. And the PEO industry has sort of was on the forefront of that. But because you have companies like Rippling, namely, you know, Zenefits, Gusto, these companies really saw, see that a unique simplified dashboard in HCM that ties together a bunch of these different core areas of general functionality is is real. There's just a lot of value there. And, and I think that that's pushing all of the industry in, the, in an upward direction, which is really healthy for, for small employers and, and companies that you know want to look to get that type of a platform. 
so, so what I'm hearing is uh, consolidation, integration, the automation of, of services is, is, is becoming even more relevant, right? With, with a certain breadth of services. You mentioned a, a couple of interesting names, right? Here with, with Rippling, namely, uh, and specifically Rippling being a more newer player in the PO market. What do you see there? Like, what are these new entrants to the market? How are they innovating and disrupting the market? And, and what can maybe um, some other more traditional uh, POs learn from that? In my role, I consider them a startup. So I'm a little more, that, that's just a, a dynamic that I focus on, right? Like in the PEO space, there are well-established players. There's also new entrants. And that's a fact that you just can't avoid. What's unique or what I found unique in my uh, involvement with them and, and interactions with them so far is that they really have a, just a, they're, again, they're kind of a technology company that's going the HR route. That just creates a completely different dynamic for different types of businesses that you know maybe wouldn't necessarily think of a PEO. I believe from what I see or what I've seen relative to their technology and how it's really sort of a widget-based technology, bringing best-in-class resources within the LMS, applicant tracking, performance management space, and sort of tying that together uh, is really unique. And, that, and that's pressure on legacy PEOs. Pricing transparency is something that, you know, a company like JustWorks, I mean, they put their pricing on their website. I mean, it's very clear the, the, these newer entrants into the space are forcing conversation to be more open and transparent relative to pricing technology and its capabilities and finding the right need. The clients that that's what they need or that's what is going to fit best for them, it just becomes more apparent when you have uniqueness in the PEO space and, and those companies provide that. Absolutely. You talked a lot about like these, these new entrants in, into the market, right? Your Rippling being one of them. You said like maybe a little more of a technology a startup company. What, what can the yeah, traditional legacy PEOs do proactively in order to compete here, right? Whether that is an innovative pricing strategy, whether this is owning a niche market, what, what have you seen PEOs doing successfully here in order to stay um, on top of the market? So what I've seen, especially from the, the comments that I made about, you know, sort of the competition in the HR technology space is that PEOs are aware of it. They, they, it, it, it certainly puts pressure on their profit margins, pricing strategy. You know, it's, it's certainly not the same exact resource when you're talking about, uh, namely, a, a sort of a standard rippling gusto incentive. It's, those are more self-service sort of HCM systems, but the robustness and the slickness and the visual component, the, the mobile aspect of that has really made PEOs realize that they have to be proactive in technology development. They have to really spend more time making sure that their systems are competing uh, and competing with, with mid-tier capabilities. You know, companies like Paycor, Paylocity, these companies have divest, you know, they've invested millions into improving their technology platform so that they can be fully integrated with and, and handle benefits and payroll and comp and and again the applicant track the LMS the performance management so PEOs they just have to be on top of it and I I know that from the conversations that I've had with my PEO partners that 
There are some PEOs that have, they have proprietary technology that they invest in. They have software developers on staff. They have people dedicated to their uh, technology backbone. And there are PEOs that are smaller in nature that white label products like Prism. You know, Prism is a provider, a big provider of HR technology. And the company's very forward thinking relative to that. And so PEOs, when they're selecting software partners like a Prism, you know, like an iSolve, they're probably the two main players in the PEO space. That's a that's a key factor. And that that's really going to help PEOs continue to push on their value proposition because when their technology is working in an optimum way, it allows all the other services that they provide. It helps distinguish them relative to their value proposition, how they stand out in a world of HR software that they're that they're really a full service HR provider. That there's more to them than just their technology. Ryan, thank you so much for for all the valuable insights today about the the PEO industry and what criteria to look for when when selecting the right PEO and and also providing us with some insights here about like strategy and the new entrants uh, to the market. Super valuable. Thanks again for being on the show today. My pleasure, Andres. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PEO Podcast. We'll see you next time.